this is Jimmy Burns from Melbourne, Ohio, and you're listening to Barbecue Central. Start the game! Let's go! We'll do it live. Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the lighter fluid on, strike the match, and... Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. Welcome to the Really Big Barbecue Central Show. It's a really big show. You know that. I just said that. It's a show that talks about the important items, or as someone close to me used to say, items, that are happening in the live fire industry need to be talked about. We talk about them here. Prolific news events. Hijinks and hilarity. All that stuff discussed right here on the Barbecue Central Show, originating from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city of Cleveland, Ohio, the barbecue capital of the North Coast. I'm your program host, Greg Rempe. Happy to have you aboard here on your Tuesday evening's Live Fire Fun and Frivolity Show. If you want to get in touch with me during the next 120 minutes, here's how you do it. You can get in touch with the show by sending an email to greg at bbqcentralshow.com. Or on the Twitter and Instagrams at BBQ Central Show. Anything else you want to find out about the show can be found at the main website, the BBQCentralShow.com. And here's what's happening in case you get the newsletter coming up in about 12 minutes from now. It is, what, the seventh week in a row, the eighth week in a row, new guest time. Local Clevelander chef Ben Biebenroth. Spice Acre Farms will join me and you're like, who's that guy? Well, a handful of months ago, <laughs> a handful of weeks ago, I had occasion to stop by Ben's Spice Acre Farm, where he was trying his best and with no formal asador, is that what you call it, barbecue experience. I call it the Iron Cross of barbecue. He was doing lambs in successive days, two at a clip. So it was like six or eight lambs he did over the course of a three or four day period for a food entertainment situation that he has going down at the Spice Acre Farm. Spice Acre has got a number of different things working within it. The founder, Ben Biebenroth, will join us to talk about what the goals of the farm are. It's a working farm. Talk about his culinary background. Most importantly, we'll talk about the cooking that he did with the lamb and how that actually turned out and what the guests had to say. And we'll also talk about his new pizza concept called the Booms Pizza. All locked and loaded, 14 past, so we'll move to 35 past. It is the fourth, <laughs> it is the fourth hour. Wowee, let's start again, folks. Can we start again? Is that possible? It is the fourth Tuesday of the month. And that, of course, brings a visit from vaunted live fire journalist Derek Riches from DerekRiches.com. As Meathead tried to give away on the second Tuesday, there was a lot of business going on over the last many weeks here in the live fire industry. So Derek and I will break that down a little bit more intimately. He has a brand new post on his website from a couple days ago. So if you haven't visited DerekRiches.com recently, then please go ahead and check that out. And then we'll move to the second hour. It is the fourth Tuesday, as I so unsuccinctly mentioned just a few moments ago. And of course, in the second hour, at 14 past, the embedded correspondents will rejoin me. At least the longest-running embedded correspondent, Doug Scheiding, and the second-longest-running embedded correspondent, John Solberg from Michigan. And of course, rounding out the trio, Rusty Monson from the great city of Utah, Perhaps the defending but now defunct returning American Idol champion, Jeff Rice, might also be stopping in for a visit. 
as we will then move in the 35 past the hour. Four months have elapsed, folks, if you can believe it. Many of you are like, oh, I can believe it. Believe me. Trust me. I can believe it. Four months have elapsed, and we are now at the finals of the American Idol Barbecue Central Show edition where John Solberg and myself will go head-to-head. We have a produced duet. Thank you, of course, to Daniel Trisna for mixing the duet for us. I think you're going to like it a lot. It's a little bit of a change of pace from what you've become familiar with in our singing, especially me and John. Daniel doing his master mixology work. Check him out on Facebook if you need some kind of sound live or pre-recorded or mixing or otherwise. Daniel Trisna. Or message me. I'll put you in touch with him. He's just a pro. That's what he does for a living. He's a mixologist, but not a bar guy. A mix master. A sound guy. The official sound guy of the Barbecue Central Show. So we will battle it out. We'll sing tonight live at the end, which is the prize you get when you're one of the final two. You get to sing live. I want the season where I don't make it to the finals and then figure out how I'm going to produce two remote live singers. Maybe next year, if I win it this year, I'll recuse myself and become just a engineer. We'll see how it goes. But nevertheless, John and myself will be singing live tonight, and then the voting opens up, and you will give me who you think wins. One vote is all you need, John or Greg. You send it in. You got the rest of the week through Monday at midnight Eastern to get the votes in, and then a week from today, we will crown a champion. And we'll see who season two is. It's going to be John or it's going to be your humble host. I can guarantee it's going to be one of us. Or if we offend you markedly, it will be neither of us. I hope that's not the case. I hope one of us allows the votes to come in for him or myself, John or myself. Why why isn't that background set taking? It's so annoying. Oh, the goings on of this show. Hey, uh, Connie Rempe says, love the new background. Thank you, Connie. So does Sean Lebs. Sean, I'm saving you heartbreak and pain by not reading your email that you sent in last week about Stephen Reichland, and I'll leave it at that. Don't forget, you can follow me socially if you haven't done so already. Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Snapchat at BBQ Central Show. For a live video feed, you can also go to Facebook and Twitch slash R, uh, slash bbq central show or on youtube slash rd rempy also you can get an ad-free podcast feed experience if you're so inclined in two different places you become a patreon over at my patreon page patreon.com slash bbq central show or if you're an apple ipod or apple podcast user you can subscribe directly in the show itself for a small monthly charge thank you Going out to Jeff Belmonte of the Barbecue Pro Shop. We give him thanks for print. What has he done? He's gone and devised a new flavor guide. So if you are somebody that's in the market for rubs and you don't know how to suss those out as far as your palate is concerned, you might want to give the Barbecue Pro Shop a look. BBQProShop.com. They have all of the most vaunted rubs and seasonings. But most importantly, they have devised this seasoning decoder. I think they're the first to do that. So that will allow you to help round out your rub selection or get the right rubs for your palate. And you can round out the spice cabinet as well. Again, that's bbqproshop.com. So we thank them. Three of the four I've actually already tried because I'm famous and I get a lot of rubs, of course. And <laughs> that's one of the benefits. But if you're not as lucky as me, you can check them out and see what they have to offer. Also, huge thank you to who? Bubba Burgers. That's right. Honking again for the second week. Sent me a huge care package. I have hats. More importantly, I have vouchers and I have stickers. So stay tuned for a bunch of free giveaways coming up in here over the next many weeks, both on the show and through social media. Listener feedback before we get to the first break and then over to Ben Biebenroth, David in Indiana, Greg listening to the second hour of the show. This morning, and I couldn't have asked for a better way to get the day going. Your rant against Bubba Burger haters was incredible. I voted to be the best bit of 2021. I doubt something will come up 
to surpass that for the rest of the year. It was a superior rant. Well done. David, thank you very much. P.S. I have not had a Bubba Burger to date, but I might buy a box now. Look at me, Influency. Good for me. Michelle in Texas. Greg, do you even hear what you're saying as you scold folks who don't like Bubba Burgers? You know you can't ban anyone from buying them, right? You are one angry man. Maybe lay off the Bubba Burgers. Love the show anyway. Sincerely, Michelle. Do you love the show, Michelle? I love when people blast me in the balls and then are like, love the show. Good. Love it and hate it all at the same time. Have mixed emotions. Go see your therapist tomorrow after you listen to the show and both love and hate me. You know the mantra here. Give me an A or give me an F. Love me or hate me. Don't find me generally amenable, moderately neato, definitely not unwell. I don't want any of that. Love or hate, A or F. That's how we roll on this show. Waiting for Ben. Let me talk to you quickly before we get to him about Green Mountain Grills. Some of the best pellet cookers out there on the market today. You have two different lines to choose from, a prime line and a choice line. Choice line is the flagship product, of course. So if you want something that can accommodate a lot of meat, you want to look at the Jim Bowie, you want something just a little smaller than that. How about the Davy Crockett? How about something... Uh, I'm sorry, that's the Daniel Boone. If you want something that's completely portable, check out the Davy Crockett. That thing can go in your cars. It's still electrically operated. If you have a car battery extra laying around, you got clips for that. You can stick it into your 12-volt receptacle in your vehicle. number of ways to charge it. That was actually the first thing that started that 12-volt power technology that really makes the fan mega efficient. They're sold by dealers, by the way. So head on over to GreenMountainGrills.com and check out where a dealer is near you. Go visit the dealer, get educated, buy the best one for you, and then go home. And know that once you fire it up, you're ready to rock, baby. GreenMountainGrill.com also having a number of great rubs and sauces and other related accoutrements for you to really complete that Green Mountain Grill pellet experience. GreenMountainGrills.com That's GreenMountainGrills.com You can also, by the way, I, I told you about choice. If you want all of the technology, that's the prime line, of course. But you knew that. GreenMountainGrills.com That's GreenMountainGrills.com We will try and track down Ben Biebenroth and we will talk about Spice Acre Farms coming up in just one moment. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the number one most downloaded barbecue and grilling podcast anywhere. The Barbecue Central Show. Casting live from the Barbecue Central Show studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. All right, welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by the Barbecue Guru, creators of automatic temperature control technology, sellers of ceramic cookers with built-in power draft fans and accessories, to make your barbecue and grilling life much easier. Visit bbqguru.com for more information or call them. 800-288-GURU. That's 800-288-GURU or visit the website bbqguru.com. The Barbecue Guru continues to be a breakthrough in barbecue technology. Also, sauces, too. I mean, Barbecue Bob Trudnack has become one of the most prolific 
sauce and rub makers of recent memory. So if you are looking for anything, if you're just new into the barbecue and grilling game, head on over to thebbqguru.com and check out the cookers and check out, of course, the automatic temperature control devices that they are world famous for now for decades. Originally scoffed at, people were like, you are not doing that, are you? You are not. Why do I do You are not the Shotgun Fred was like, not only am I not doing that, I am doing that, bitch. And he won. He won. Poo-pooed on originally, of course, as time went on and people realized they want to have a little nap. They want to mess around with temperatures or as the competition folks really like to have a precise temperature dialed in. And the guru really fit the bill. And then a lot of the naysayers were eating crow. They became the biggest fans. It's like anything in life, right? Things develop, things evolve, things grow. When I started selling trucks six years ago, for every 10 I sold, nine or 10 were still standard transmission units, stick shift, if you will. Now, fast forward five and a half, six years later, do you have any idea out of 10? How many are standard transmission? How about this number? Zero! Zero! There are zero Class 8 trucks that I am building. Dump trucks, over-the-road trucks, you name it, trucks that have standard transmission. Can't find drivers, and the drivers that you can't find can't drive a standard transmission. In a five-year span, I went from... I would never put an automatic transmission into that truck, too. I will never put a standard transmission into that truck. Can you believe? This is why we talk about evolution. Anyway, tonight my first guest is doing something very unique here in the greater Cleveland area. A lot of folks in the food business talk about eating local or farm-to-table or green this or that. But that is the way of life at a place called Spice Acre Farm. Imagine produce and other ingredients picked earlier that day. And then put together to form an amazing dish that evening in their beautiful event space for you to enjoy. That's what's happening right here in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city. We're racing to the hotline. Welcome first timer to the show, Ben Biebenroth. Hey, Ben. Hey, how you going? I am fabulous. Ben, appreciate you making time for the show tonight. So before we get into the farm and the lamb cook you did a few weeks ago that I got to view in person there for a little a little bit of the afternoon. Let's get a little bit of history on you for the folks that aren't familiar, uh, where you grew up, uh, what kind of food background you acquired while you were growing up, and then we can build in from there. Sure. So, uh, yeah, I grew up in Strongsville before it was flattened for a mall and pretty much just lived in the woods all day, every day with my brother. And uh, my parents were both public school teachers. So my dad taught health and phys ed and my mom um, taught business and accounting and actually like took several years off when my sister was born when I was seven. <clears throat> and we just really cooked everything at home. My mom, we would take like avid trips to Amish country to like get ingredients. My grandma lived across the street, lived next door to a farm. <clears throat> so it was just, there was n- so much garden work to be done. It was unbelievable. And it was, we were always making jams and you know, our neighbor was a big fisherman. So I was just grew up like kind of inundated with the food of the region. And frankly, I hated it when I was a kid because it was like super healthy brown bread and like all the kids at school were getting to buy Twinkies and shit. And I was like, man, I want that. <laughs> so as you're growing up in that kind of an environment, my question was going to be, does this <clears throat> easily lead you into the culinary path that you choose? Or when did you decide as you were getting through high school, what you wanted to do at that point? Uh, you know, it's kind of funny at the end of it all, I was, I was living in Kent with my wife and she was finishing up, um, school and I was busting suds and working construction. I mean, my family was in the trades. My mom was always an avid cook, but I never really knew I wanted to do it. And one day I got I was on dish tank and they were like, Hey, we need somebody online. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, I'm cooking. And it was just like, I fell in love with the culture of kitchens before I fell in love with the craft of it. And then as I started to see it as a craft a little bit more so than an art, it really started to amplify on my, like my nature of like 
constant state of self-improvement and constant critique of like technique and things like that. I really, I really fell in love with that part of the process. Do you go to college first before you go to culinary school or did you get out of high school and then just kind of work and then realize you wanted to pursue it? Actually, no, I graduated from a military academy. I had a little bit of problems in public school. I was a little bit of a renegade. And then uh, I joined the Marine Corps, and when I got out of the Marines, that's when I really hit the ground running. And um, I was just cooking and going to Tri-C, and a, a chef I worked with at the Cleveland Renaissance arranged for me to meet with a Johnson & Wales rep, and then I took the advanced standing test, went to school in Charleston, and then won a competition for all of the Johnson Wales campuses for uh, Australian lamb. So I got to go to Australia for two and a half months and cook all around and work with Aboriginal women. And like, that was like kind of my break open moment of like, I didn't appreciate the food that was available in the Ohio river Valley when I was growing up here. But then when I was sitting in a, you know, dry Creek bread, eating a kangaroo tail out of a campfire, it was like, Oh my God, man, if people could have this experience back home, like all the food that we have, the steelhead, the wild turkey, the venison, like all these things. Whereas we were having this culinary destination experience in the middle of the freaking desert. There's like nothing around. But to them, there was everything around, you know? So this is probably a mindset that is building into you. So how does it transfer coming back from Australia, getting back here to Cleveland area, and then how do you set forth into doing whatever you want to do and make your mark in the culinary scene here? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I had a lot of environmental immersions in Australia, like the most basic experiences, like catching crabs with a dude and then boiling seawater and cooking the crabs in it. It was like, holy shit, this is the best crab I've ever had in my life. Like, why is this so simple and so good? And it was that, I think it was that very short time span between life and death where energy was still transferring and everything was was vital and flowing and a part of the experience and and that was kind of where i had this <clears throat> sort of epiphany it was like jackie and i looked at each other it was like do we do we take an australia opportunity and be a small fish in a huge pond or do we come back home and take this kind of nuanced environmental focus on ingredient and taste of place. And do we apply that in the Cleveland area? And that's what we decided to do. So just came home and started cooking and, um, you know, eventually became a stay at home dad. My wife held down the benefits and in, in the marketing field. And I was, you know, started the catering company when my daughter was born. So it was catering first, eventually to a restaurant and then eventually back to a catering company. Yeah, there was a lot of steps in between there. But yeah, we started a catering company, skipped around a bit, sold it, bought it back, really blew it up in my grandparents' basement. Um, chef lived in the attic. He was a classmate of mine in the Johnson Wales, Josh Wu. And then uh, we, you know, we eventually had to move out of our partnership with another caterer and raise some money and open Spice Kitchen and Bar. And you know, that was about nine years ago. Where does the farm come from i would imagine that as you're having these life experiences especially in the australian part when you're catching something you're immediately cooking you're immediately immediately eating it then right after it there's a whole bunch of self-sufficiency using what you have sustainability all those hot button words that everybody throws around but i don't know if anybody really lives by i've seen it firsthand you are living that way you are living by those codes so where does the farm come into play and when do you acquire that and how do you put it to work for you? Yeah. So the first year I had the restaurant, I, I got selected for 10,000 small businesses program um, sponsored by Goldman Sachs. And that is like a kind of like a mini MBA in three months, it really forced me to like work on my business, not in my business. And through that, you have to write a growth plan. And I wrote this growth plan and it like totally collapsed in the last week. And ironically, the neighbor at the farmer's market had a farm that was like available and we were selling breakfast burritos and he was selling produce and eggs. And it just materialized in that way. And we saw the opportunity to tie the restaurant menu on the weekly basis to what we could grow on the farm. And it was very idealist. You know, I was in my early thirties. It was like, you know, I could fucking do anything at that moment. At least so I thought. Um, and, and that we just kind of took a leap of faith, you know, in that way. And then all of these educational entities started finding us and wanting to help out. And that's where we birthed Spice Field Kitchen, 
um, which is our 501c3. And, you know, we had like 1600 student impressions this past year with culinary, basic culinary engagement and agricultural ties to it to say, hey, let's, let's pick something out of the ground that you don't think is food, kale, right? Something simple and make a salad with it right in that moment. And that's kind of what I'm taking from that Australia experience is like in the moment, you know, the harvest, the process, the cleaning, the saute, the dressing, whatever, that's action, that's happening. That's not coming out of a bottle. That's not coming out of a box. And that's where I think the real breakthrough for people is, is like, you know, we say changing the way you see you're connecting with food. You know, that's kind of what we do. Is that a big issue, not only for maybe people that are in disadvantaged areas of the country, but just in general, as you see people consuming food, I mean, there's a lot of fat asses around there, a lot of people making lazy choices. Has there been a big turn away from doing it yourself over the last 15 or 20 years? Um, I don't know, man. That's such a deep connected thing. I don't know if we have time to skin that whole cat because it's like, yeah, you see a lot of people that you could categorically like sum up and be like, oh, there's a bunch of, you know, fat ass people over here. They don't care about themselves, whatever. But did you connect a lot of like shame to that? A lot of Maslow's hierarchy of needs of like, where are they at in life? What is this food addiction or lack of food education or awareness? What is it doing in their body? What's it doing to their psychological state? And 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 that is where, to be honest, I have found the most value in this entire career is not the dishes that I make, but the the way that I'm able to empower cooks to think and empower students to think about what choice are you making next? What are you going to eat next? And do you know that that fuels your body to do the next thing that you are going to do? You know, and when you wake up to pop tarts and Mountain Dew. I mean, I, I'm a firm believer there's people in prison just because of their breakfast choice and their socioeconomic space in the world, you know, and and when you really start to see things through that lens of the power of food, it, it's it's one of the most powerful things on the planet. It's a common language between all of us, you know. Ben Biebenroth joining us here on the show. Spiceacres.com is the website. If you want to check it out and see what they're all about, you can follow them on Instagram at Spice Headquarters. Give them a follow over there as well. And part of the whole Spice Acre experience, if you're lucky enough to get a ticket, is to uh, dine in that great barn event space that you have. And recently, now I didn't realize you had this Australian competition underneath your belt on lamb. So, there, there was a little lamb familiarity going on there. I thought you were just throwing up lamb on these iron crosses and like saying, well, fuck it, let's go ahead and see what we do. And you had, you know, trust in the chef skills. Nevertheless, let's talk about that experience. Like, first of all, what's that a plated experience experience? And then why did you decided to do lamb and specifically this way to cook it? Yeah. So the plated landscapes, we basically, we started at a mushroom farm, um, geez, 17, 16, 17 years ago. And it was like, I wanted to take people to the place where food was created, have them eat with the farmer, share this commonality of breaking bread. And then now you never bitch about the price of mushrooms again. And you always get them from Tom Wine at Killbuck Valley, right? Because you had that experience as formative. Um, and I felt like if I could connect people to their source in that memorable way, it would change their buying patterns. And so now, you know, fast forward 17 years later, throwing a global fucking pandemic and close a award-winning restaurant of eight years. And it's like, hey, we need something to do that is cool and fun, you know? And like, I'd spent a lot of time in Brazil. We have, uh, we have an exchange family that actually goes back to my wife's high school experience. And I've always wanted to be doing this El Asador. I've like, I've never done it. I've seen it. And... We partnered with Yellow House, who's a great, trusting, awesome farm that does cheese and animals. So, you know, my new partner, Jonathan Bennett, has a real uh, design eye. So drew the whole damn thing up in CAD. I probably would have made it out of rebar on the fly. But and and now here we are, you know, pinning this thing up against a 250 degree fire for seven hours. It was it's primitive, man. I mean, you know this. You're like barbecue guru. This is the most primitive way of cooking on the planet. 
in the end, because you have, as I was perusing the property as you were taking me around, I mean, you have many what I would call classic smokers offsets and barrels and things of this nature that I would be able to get on and immediately start producing food out of. But I would be a little bit more tepid to iron cross some whole lambs and you had a pair going. So what was the concept on how you wanted to execute? How did you execute? And I guess more importantly, at the end, at these plated landscapes, what was the reaction of the people eating this, knowing how it was cooked? Well, yeah, so th- that that's actually a fantastic line of questioning. So if, if anyone out there that is culinarily proficient knows that there are some fundamental techniques that you absolutely need to understand and respect. And if you're going to get a pork butt to pulled texture, it has to arrive at 190 degrees, preferably over the course of 12 hours, no less than eight. I mean, you know, there's pressure cooking and CV techniques you can, you know, switch that up with. But um, point being, if you're going to shred an animal, it has to arrive to 180, 185 at least and rest. And the first one we did on Wednesday was for a friend of mine, Sam, in a private dinner. And it was kind of like he knew he was the guinea pig. And we got it to 165 and it was like, okay, it's an hour and a half till dinner. There's no freaking way we're climbing 30 degrees (laughs) in this short period of time, you know, or you're just going to dry this thing out over this raging ass fire. So we had to pivot, you know, it was like, okay, we're carving this. This is roasted lamb leg and we're going to get the loins out and do all this stuff. And we're going to subprimal this thing out and then we're going to carve it and we're going to plate it and it's going to be fucking awesome and nobody's going to be pissed at all. And in the end, that's what it was. But then we changed every night. It was like, okay, now that we know it's a carved and not a full on barbecue shred, let's dial in this exquisite 158. And then the next day was like, uh, 155. And then the last, the final day was 153 (laughs) with a really long rest. And it was just the juiciest, most delicious thing. But it's learning, dude. It's being flexible and like, you know, knowing your role as an amateur, even though I've been cooking over fire for 20 years, it's like, I've never fucking done this with a whole carcass leaning up against an open wind fire. Was there a subtle smoke import uh, import on that? Or would you say, by and large, it had a barbecue tone to it from a taste profile? No, it was much more hardwood roasted. Mm-hmm. I, I would say like it did not have a ring to it. You know, there wasn't really a deep penetration because you weren't getting that contained environment offset. It was all draft, open, right? <laughs> it totally, you yeah, saw the rig, yes. dude. I mean, it was so much. So when weather was moving in, we had to build panels and put it up against the lower two feet of the fire just so that thermal mass wasn't carrying away. So the smoke was definitely subtle and, and obviously open air, heavily fat capped five month old lamb rendering out. So all those oil soluble components of smoke are kind of peeling away, you know, and like, and then we were dousing with this saltwater brine, which is the Patagonian technique. It's not, not like a marinade. It's like garlic, salt, paprika, a little bit of lemon juice, and then an herb kind of bundle. And you just slap this on the lamb. So I think about that, the oil and, and water soluble components of salt being kind of rendered and washed away, not only by fat, but also water. I don't know. It's different than having pork butts sitting in that drafting, you know? If you were to do it again next week, what would you do differently for those guests? Or would you do anything differently now that you might have it mastered? <laughs> do not have it mastered. Um, I would feel rebuild the top. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I would rebuild the top of the the cross with stainless. That's for sure. Because now with fat and salt on it for four days, like that thing is rusted to shit, and it's mm. you know it'll last for a hundred years. But it's like, do you really want to cook on rusty steel? So I would definitely switch that. It didn't really happen until after it sat for a couple of days. But uh, I would do that, and then you know the biggest challenge is the cut of like. We would we brought it up on the cross, wrapped it in foil, let it sit for 30 minutes. Then we like busted all the wire, slid it off, and then started, you know, jointing it out. So legs on one tray, shoulders on the other, legs and loin, and basically shoulders and belly. So we had a chip chop platter and then legs and loin. 
and I, I would have rather, I think, carved onto plates or something because it was so juicy when the mm. knife was going through it. And then, you know, you pile that stuff up, even cover it in foil. I don't know. That's the difficulty. You get to, you know, 75 guests and it's like, damn, how do you do this? You know, so that was every night was a challenge in that way. It sounds like it was a huge success. Guests were very happy and you are at least six lambs in on the Iron Cross. So you're building that uh, expertise <laughs> level, no doubt about it. We're talking with Ben Biebenroth. You can find him over at SpiceAcres.com, especially if you're here locally in the Cleveland area. If you're passing through, go ahead and check it out. Uh, and you can follow him over on Instagram at Spice Headquarters. So follow him over there. Uh, ben, I'm out of time, my man. Uh, we haven't got, even touched the pizza concept, but I know we can do a whole other segment. on. I mean, pizza is my favorite thing to eat uh, on the face of the earth, bar none. So we can do a whole segment on pizza next time you're on, but I really appreciate the insight and the background on you tonight. Sweet, man. Thanks for the opportunity. Nice to chat with you. you got Thanks it. for coming over. You got it. Thanks for having me. That is Ben Biebenroth. Again, spiceacres.com. The website, see what they're doing. Really cool stuff. Educating, as he said, 16, 1,700 kids over the last year. And some of them, first time they've ever seen a farm or how a farm works or where food comes from or something that isn't frozen out of a box. So, I mean, that's a real big deal and kind of a life-changing thing for a lot of those kids as well. And he's doing it every day. The Iron Cross Barbecue, really cool to see a person. Watching him manage that fire, up, down, had the probes in there, watching it. It was great. Really cool. So, we thank Ben for joining me. Before we get to Derek Riches, I will talk to you quickly about Yoder Smokers. Yoder Smokers designs and builds all of their products right here in the States and building pride through craftsmanship and world-class customer service. It's the backbone of how they've built the company. This approach translates into what can be a truly bespoke style product that elevates gatherings and friends and family. Honored to have a trusted place in the backyards of America. From pellet cookers to wood-fired offset pits, charcoal grills, consistent blue ribbon flavor has become synonymous with Yoder Smoker's name. Make no mistake, Yoder Smoker's flavor-driven design is unique to each style of pit. And their team has developed cookers to perform time and time again while outlasting the competition for generations to come. It's this generational thought that's rooted in the handmade products that defines the integrity of the core values. American-made quality, endless flavor, the benchmarks of Yoder Smokers. Visit Yodersmokers.com to grab yours today. Derek Riches is in the green room, and we will get to him here in just one second. Stick around. We'll be right back. Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, and Greg Rampey. The Mountain Rushmore of talk show entertainment. Now, let's get back to the Barbecue Central Show. Welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by CookinPellets.com, your number one source for quality wood pellets for all your pellet-driven cookers like Yoder's and Green Mountain Grills and so forth. Visit cookinpellets.com for more information. You can also purchase those pellets and a number of other products right there or visit amazon.com if you want. Fourth Tuesday of the month means it's time to go to the hotline and welcome in one of the most respected barbecue journalists in the biz, a Barbecue Central Show guest hall of famer, as we know. And you can read his writings at his website, derekriches.com. Hey, it's Derek Riches. Hey, Derek. Hey, Greg. How you doing? You ever done lamb on the Iron Cross? No. I've done a lot of lamb, though. You've done a lot of lamb? Do you like rack of lamb or lamb chop or lamb uh, things that look like T-bones? What, what's your favorite? All of it. I love lamb. Lamb's probably my favorite favorite meat. <sighs> Who did it? Uh, Sorry. Butcher of America, Pat LaFrieda, on this show said that Australia... Mm, now I don't want to misquote. Okay. 
I would just like to, and I'm saying this with peace and love, peace of and course. Love. Peace and love. If I offend Australians or New Zealanders, I apologize because 50% of this statement is right and 50% of this statement is wrong. <laughs> Pat LaFrieda said that either Australian or New Zealand lamb is some of the worst lamb you can possibly eat. Now, admittedly, I was just introduced to lamb like two years ago. And I believe I had Australian lamb from Costco, like whatever their brand is. It yeah, was right. unbelievably delicious. So yeah. what say you on the controversy of Australian slash New Zealand lamb being crap? It's not crap. It's not as flavorful. What does that mean? Like gamey flavorful? <sighs> I, and I don't mean gamey in like a deery, yeah. icky way, but like, you know, right, lamb, yeah. right? Yeah, no. When you say gamey, though, people are like, oh, I don't want that. That sounds awful. And it's like, no. Um, to in, I mean, um, I, I like U.S. lamb um, when you can get it. And, and, you know, unfortunately, it's not produced as much as it should be, in my opinion. Um, it has a more robust flavor to it, and I, I'll put it that way. Hmm. It's not because I, I I don't I never want to describe it as gamey because that puts people off right out the bat. And you know I try to convert people to try the lamb um, because I think it's great and I think that's very versatile. I think there's so much you can do with it, and so you know um, yeah, that's but great. I think the Australian lamb is a little mild. All right. Uh, Derek Rich is joining me here, DerekRiches.com. So we have a lot of things going on in the world of live fire business here over the last handful of weeks. And we yeah. are on the heels of your latest article, maybe a week or two before that. I was speaking with Meathead. You call him Craig. I would never do that. And he tried to <laughs> scoop me on a whole take I had going on for the second hour. But basically, we can break it down into two or three sections here and one of it's two topics and one of the topics has two different subsections so let's start with this first i'm confused at this point a couple weeks ago traeger makes an announcement that they have acquired the wireless thermometer company called meat eater so uh, (laughs) wait meter sorry i had meter I had uh, Daryl Hall in my mind there for a second. That's right. man eater, technically. So they acquire <laughs> meter, meter. Oh my God, meter. Let's talk about the genesis of meter first. What do you know about meter? Because I have a whole take on that. Well, you know, I'll let you have your take. But I mean, you know, uh, $1.2 million crowdsourced product. And then there's some issue with getting it to supply and there's some delays and there's some issues with that. And then it's maybe some people have issues. It's not quite as perfected as it may, you know, could have been. Um, But uh, yeah, meter has something, but meter definitely had something that Traeger wanted and that's patents. Mm. So they don't really care necessarily about the product itself. Like it could, it could go die. I, I, they're not going to say that. Um, but yeah. Likelihood of them killing that product. 50, 50. Uh, yeah. Somewhere that I, wow. Unless Traeger is going to introduce a temperature monitoring system akin to uh, Fireboard or something like that and sell it as a Traeger branded product. Mm. I don't foresee a strong future for meter. I mean, we've had this discussion before about Traeger's patents and what they think they can do with them. The meter patents include a wireless temperature probe system, a dual channel temperature probe system. There's, I think, I, I was trying to figure it out. There's like five companies that are currently violating that those patents. And, you know, you want to talk timing. So are, are they five the other patent. companies that are also trying to do a meter-like product, like the Yumly and the Bird scooter or whatever else? Right. The idea of a wireless probe that communicates to a a device that then communicates via Wi-Fi to a smart app. They own it. 
they technically those patents covered and you want to talk timing the last of those patents was validated on july 6 the day after traeger announced their ipo hmm. which means traeger's lawyers were already in there pushing to get those patents approved and and cleared before this was even announced so now they are buying patents. Uh, they're suing other companies for patents that they already have other competing grill manufacturers. Right. So they're basically taking on meter to be able to have incredibly deep pockets to start putting potentially other competitors out of business too by enforcing these patents. Yeah, and you know what I what what I would envision is the idea that you go to your Traeger grill and you pick the temperature probe off of it and you put it into the meat and there's no wire, mm -hmm. and they're just going to be able to say, "Hey, everyone else got wires, we don't got wires," you know, and and just go for that. the The probe itself would communicate to the grill. The grill would then communicate via Wi-Fi to your smart devices or whatever. And uh, yeah, I think in their mind, it's a win-win situation. So uh, it, it allows them to jump to the next step in you know this sort of automated outdoor cooking. Potentially, correct me if I'm wrong, you have a scenario where you could have Traeger owning app capability and solely them, nobody else can do it. And they would also own wireless temperature probe capability as well. Nobody else would be able to do it. Potentially. Potentially. That's huge, right? Yes. Oh, it would be huge. I mean, if they can win all of this, they're uh, um, yeah, they're very well positioned and that's, you know, they're they're talking that up. They're, you know, they're out there pushing that market. It's certainly going to keep the, it would certainly put the stock prices up. So they're looking for a hundred million dollar marker. Weber was looking for something relatively the same, but no, 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 the hundred million dollars are placeholders. That's what you put into your filing to say, Hey, we want to raise a whole bunch of money. Yep. Traeger is looking for $400 million. Weber is looking for $800 million. Traeger's valuation is expected at around 2.2 .2 billion and Weber's is 5 billion. Um, so yeah, theoretically on Thursday, when Traeger stock drops on the New York stock exchange, they pick up $400 million. I thought, uh, it was still going to be any number of months before all this even got finalized, like end of the year. And now oh, it's no. going to drop yeah. on Thursday, like three two days to six months. It's going to be, yeah, I know. No, it, it, that's just literally come through. In the last couple of hours. Same for Weber. The New York Stock Exchange. Uh, Weber is still undefined. We don't know a date for Weber. Traeger might have had a heads up on their filings and everything. They are pushing to get this as quickly as possible because uh, they're going to put out stock. They're going to sit there. I mean, they're already trying to push the comparison that they are kind of like a another yeti the next yeti i mean yeti's worth four billion dollars and so if they can convince people that they're worth that much hey buy stock you're gonna four times your money i don't know that's gonna happen but i mean because personally i think yeti's way overvalued um and then they get to come around in october and report second you know they well they get to come out in about a month or so report second quarter earnings mm. and that's the best earnings of the industry you know it's like the best time of the year is your second quarter it's make or break so yeah this has all been engineered to make them look as good and strong as possible any idea how much stock they're gonna actually have out for sale uh the number's floating around i don't know it off the top of my head um, they're looking, so divide 400 million by $14 a share, I think is right. they're looking at 14 to 16 a share. I think it is somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, it's quite a big chunk of yep. change. Would you buy it? I'm, I'm not a good investor. I wish I had Jordan Belfort's hotline number i would conference him in on this and see if he would you know go long or go short on traeger i, 
Yeah, I mean, the thing of it is, is this has moved so quickly. I don't think yes. that investors have had time to even like wrap their heads around it. I mean, half the news reporting is talking about Traeger, the manufacturer of a $2,000 luxury grill. I'm like, yeah, they have that, but the $800 one is the one they sell everywhere. So, um, yeah, there's, there, I think there's as much misinformation in, in the news media as there is usable information, and we're just going to have to see how it rolls out. Is but, this the mastery yeah, I, of uh, Andrus running this ship? Creating a lot of smoke. Uh, I'm not, I don't want to say smoke and mirrors, but creating a lot of, uh, you know, look here, look there. There's maybe 400 million to pick up somewhere on Thursday, blah, blah, blah. And does it ultimately lead to a sale? Well, I mean, I don't know. I, I think it's going to remain. I think it's going to be an independent company. I think Andrews will make his exit somewhere six months down the road. Um, he, you know, I mean, he steered skull candy to an ipo and yep. that went very badly largely because beats by dre came out at like the same you know i mean they just got squashed yeah um i don't think he's making the same mistake and i think that part of the reason that this is happening so fast is they want to beat weber to the punch on this um weber is far more methodical and i mean you know weber is predominantly owned by bdt financials out of Chicago. And that's run by, uh, what's his name? Something trot who is Warren Buffett's personal banker. Hmm. So, you know, I mean, that's going to be very methodical, but, um, yeah, Traeger certainly beating him to the punch on this one. As far as Weber going public, it's just a race to say we're doing it too, or we're going to be, we're continuing to be the biggest and the baddest in the live fire industry. Well, this has definitely been on the on the pipeline for quite a while. And, you know, they've been doing a lot of things themselves to kind of make themselves look good. I mean, the acquisition of June last December or whenever it was, you know, why is Traeger, I mean, why is Weber, the, the most recognized brand in outdoor cooking, buying the world's smartest toaster oven? There's 27 patents involved. Mm including visual recognition of food so that the cooker can decide for you how to cook it. Right. So, you know, um, and you know, there's been also, uh, th th there's weird kind of changes. It's, you know, there are some people who have been kind of very public at Weber who have suddenly gone very, very quiet. Their social media has completely dried up and that might have something to do with the fact that they had a propensity for retweeting what could be considered some problematic things. Um, and, you know, they've been nailing everything down themselves. So, but that's kind of, that that's Weber. Weber is very secretive and very quiet, which is about to end very fast. Is there a potential setup or issue down the road where if things work out for Traeger the way maybe none of us want to see them work out except for Traeger that not well, only is Green Mountain Grills in trouble because they're the one currently in suit with them but then you have a host of other pellet cooker companies that have Wi-Fi connectivity app connectivity blah 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 and that obviously rolls up into Weber like this could be a battle of the titans to some degree too it, it, it could be. I don't think that either one of them want that. I mean, you know, I don't think either one of them go into kind of want to go into open warfare with one another because it'll just. Eat I up mean, it seems resources. to me that that would be Traeger's M.O. Like they, they would want to, you know, yeah. kind of whip it out and I, see who's got the bigger one. I just, you know, I mean, when we talk about the whole idea that they have patents over uh, over any type of wireless connectivity to an outdoor cooking equipment i don't see that sticking it's it's too vague it's too broad it's too big and if someone had gone after that in the patent courts a year ago i think they those patents would be dead by now hmm. um but you know we still have to kind of deal with the fact that traeger is emphatic about sitting in front of a jury to, to try and go after green mountain girls so don't you think that if somebody says hey you know this is ridiculous and we're not going to rule in your favor Traeger the Traeger turns around and immediately files some kind of an appeal or 
in some way continues to try and bleed out Green Mountain Grills? They could take that tactic, but why focus so much attention on a, a relatively small company? I mean, the truth of the matter is, is that Danson sells more pellet grills than Traeger does. And, you know, if they wanted, if they wanted to crush somebody, it, it's going to be Danson's. And, but I think their, their tactic is, is that they can just build, I don't know if, if, if the word is better pellet grill than Danson's can, or if they can just kind of control the market mm really really well i mean trigger is very heavily integrated into the the biggest retailers so they have that space they have that command of the market space um which is really their biggest strength is their access to home depot and to walmart and to amazon and and growing international market by the way, somebody just sent me a link. Twenty-three and a half million shares in this IPO for Traeger. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, selling only eight point eight two million, while the selling stockholders are selling fourteen point seven million. So, we thank El Jefe yeah. Smoke for that particular tidbit of information. So there's there'll be yeah, a number of shares to go around if you're so inclined to jump in on that. Uh, yeah, there's going to be a lot of shares out there. There's also going to be a lot of cashing in. Yeah, I true. mean. You know, so, uh, you know, some of that money goes to people like executives and directors and stuff like that. So uh, the trigger of a year from now could be a very different company. Um, I think I I don't see Andrew staying very long. You know, he's a he's a stakeholder, which means he's cashing out, which he's he's getting a big check. He's CEO, which he's going to get rewarded for. And his interests, I mean, he's on the board of like a dozen high-tech startups. And I think that's where his interests are. So I, I, I foresee a kind of a big change in the way of who's running Traeger and how it's run. Well, we're going to see what happens in just two days and how this whole thing unfolds as Traeger is able to hit the market this coming Thursday, and we'll see all about it. Uh, you can read what Derek's writing all about, DerekRiches.com, his website. And, of course, you can find him here on the fourth Tuesday of every month, breaking down the live fire news. Derek, always appreciate the time, and we'll see what happens with these two companies. Yeah, looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of interesting developments. I no, mean, no. the thing that I'm excited about is we have two major players who <laughs> now have to file quarterly reports about how – healthy the barbecue and grilling industry is that's right two of the biggest so now we will we we should certainly have a true litmus on where the pulse of the live fire community yes yeah no doubt about it derek always appreciate the time my friend all right see you next month there he is derek riches right there DerekRiches.com, his website and we'll see who's getting paid i believe by the way Andrus getting paid and then getting paid. Uh, before we go to wrap the show, I'll talk to you quickly about Big Papa Smokers, the one-stop online shop for all things barbecue, a curated selection of only the best outdoor cooking and grilling supplies, getting you on the path to better barbecue results in no time. Everything listed at Big Papa's website has been handpicked and approved by Sterling Big Papa Ball himself. They have all of those rubs and seasonings that you like, sweet money, cattle prod, cash cow, just a few of the many that are there. Also, they own Granny's Barbecue Sauce, and they're selling cookers, and you'd know this. They are the exclusive Mac dealer online. They're even offering special packages. If you are a backyard barbecue enthusiast and you're looking for something versatile, why not check out the M Grill? Also, the Old Hickory ASPP, it's a charcoal cooker. Big Papa has it on his competition trailer. Have any questions? Call them 877-828-0727 or shop the website bigpapasmokers.com. We're back to wrap the first hour right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. Continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Craig Rampey. All right, we are back. This portion brought to you by Fireboard. 
monitor up to six different temperatures simultaneously, connect to Wi-Fi for cloud-based monitoring, or via the Bluetooth. If you have Alexa or the Google Assistant, you're in luck because Fireboard fully integrated with both. Find out more by visiting fireboard.com. Or call 816-945-2232. That's 816-945-2232. That's Fireboard 2, Fireboard 2 Drive, and Fireboard 2 Pro. Thanks again to Derek Riches from DerekRiches.com. And we are ready to go for the second hour. So stick around. We'll be right back. This is Maddie Rempe. From Cleveland, Ohio, and you're listening to Barbecue Central. 